Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 10 of Behind the Microphone, with me, Hamish Percy. Today's guest is BT Sports lead football commentator, Darren Fletcher. This voice. Joel Matip, they're looking for Sadio Mane, who's capitalised on the mistake. Here's Henderson, he's away! Good save! He scored! There's one back! Divock Origi! Here's Deli Alli, here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they've done it! I cannot believe it! Lucas Moura with the last kick of the game! The Ajax players collapse to the ground! Tottenham Hotspur are heading to the Champions League final! In this episode, Darren discusses his career from starting on a building site out of school, moving through to local radio in his hometown of Nottingham, to eventually commentating on five successive Champions League finals. As well as this, Darren talks through all things commentary, from the preparation involved to handling big moments. I hope you enjoy. So Darren, can you talk to me about the start and about whether being a football commentator was always what you wanted to do? No, I didn't, actually. Um, I always wanted to do something involving sport in, in, in some way, shape or form, but didn't really know what that would be and what it would look like and, and how I'd go about it. I remember going to see a careers teacher when I was 14, 15 at school and sat down and kind of said, oh, I want to work in sport and was basically told, well, you, you, you can't. You, you, you know, that's kind of stupid you need to be a bit more sensible about what you want to do. So kind of knocked me a little bit there and decreased the motivation and made me believe that I couldn't do it. So I ended up dropping out of school and I ended up working on a, I worked in a, a, a builder's yard first called Sheriff Plant Hire in Nottingham. And I used to load up flatbed trucks, paint bits of machinery. And this was kind of it. And then, I developed to putting up suspended ceilings. So now I'm putting these suspended ceilings up at a theatre in Sheffield called the Lyceum. Going absolutely nowhere, but massive football fan, huge sports fan, always read about everything, watched everything. Um, but just kind of realised that that was what life was going to be like. And then my dad was an accountant and he um, acted for a, a guy who owned a gym. And... One of the people who trained in the gym was the sports editor of the local radio station in Nottingham, which I think is called Capital now. But I think back, but back then it was called um, Trent FM, 96.2 Trent FM. And they had a medium wave frequency as well called Gem AM, and that's where all the sport was. But he also had a PR company, and he said to me, well, he said to, he was chatting in the gym one day, and he needed a runner to go on a, a job. Um, and... Uh, the fellow that owned the gym via my dad kind of put me forward because I could go back and put suspended ceilings up at any stage. You know, I mean, I was right at the bottom end of the suspended ceiling food chain. I wasn't even the fitter. I was just carrying the things up and down these stairs. So it was for three weeks and it was called the Sun Life Great Race. And it was a running race. And I think it was only on for one year. And they basically ran from Glasgow to London over three weeks. The leader of the race wore a yellow vest. It was very similar in concept to the Tour de France, but on foot. And some of the best marathon runners in the world were in this event. They ran in teams. So basically, he wanted 
a runner. So someone to file copy, make the tea, fetch the results. Three weeks, he paid me 300 quid. So we started in Glasgow and we finished in London. But kind of during this event, and it was probably halfway through, maybe 10 days in, I was filing copy to a, a local radio station. And they put me to air. So now I've got to speak to the, the, the guy on the air. No idea what I'm doing. I mean, I'm carrying plasterboards for a living, so I, I'm not sure. So I just did what I thought I should do. And he told me in no uncertain terms I couldn't be on air because I think he thought the entire job would, would go. So I ended up doing this piece. Of, and he, we were actually in a vehicle traveling to where we were going to the next stage. So he, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I, I, I couldn't do anything about it. I said, I went to file the copy, and they, they put me to air, so I've just been speaking to, to a presenter. So he said, well, he did okay. He said, don't, don't do it again. He said, but you did okay. So that was it. I never thought any more of it. Finished the Sun Life Great Race, went to London. So he told me to go into the office the next day, um, and I just went in presuming I was going to get paid. And when I, when I went in, he said, look, do you, what, do you want to do this for a living? So I said, well, I, yeah, I'd love to. And he said, well, I'll, I'll give you a job. He said, I'll, you can do everything that other people don't want to do, and you'll work pretty much every day, and you won't make any money, but I'll teach you everything that, that he knew. Um, he then had my parents in the next day, and he was because I was only 18 at the time, so my parents in the next day <clears throat> so that they could kind of understand what it was all about. And, and that, that's where, that was where the journey started. And it was, it was just pure luck, really. I mean, complete luck, no qualifications, pure luck. But I've always been the kind of fellow that if you give me an opportunity and I think I can make something of it, I'll, I'll graft. It's not a great deal of natural ability in this body, but I'm a worker, I'm a grafter. This is where I'm from. So I'll graft and I'll think, look, I'll believe that I can do it. Um, and I just worked hard. I did everything that, that he asked, tried to make myself better. Um, and, and it kind of led me to, to where I am today. So I'm eternally grateful. His name was Tony Delahunty. And without him, I, I have no idea where, where I'll be. I'm eternally grateful to him. Without his, his, his belief and his knowledge and the gamble that he took, I wouldn't be doing the job I do now. Um, and, 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 and that's it. I mean, it, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to be able to say it was all part of some grand scheme and grand plan and I got it mapped out from A to B and I was always going to do this, that and the other. He used to say to me, he said, you've not come in through the back door. You've come in through the cellar door, and you've got to work your way through. And that was right. And it, it, it was, it was, it was a stroke of luck, and and that's kind of how I got here. Okay. And and then when you were at Trent FM in those early years of your career, how was that experience? And and what sort of stuff were you doing there? Were you commentating there? No, not not for a while, because I mean, I I'd not I had no experience. The first at the time it was great because Forest were a first division team, and Brian Clough was the manager, so. It was a great time to cover this area. And I still live in Nottingham now. Nottingham born and bred. This is where I'm from. Still live here now. Um, so the first ever interview I did for him was with Brian Clough. So talk about going in the deep end. I mean, you can imagine that today would be Guardiola or a little bit before that, Ferguson. And I just went to the ground one day and he said, go and get an interview. And I said, well, you know, who? And he said, well, that's down to you. That's... <clears throat> that's the job, go and work it out. And Forrest weren't particularly helpful in general because the players knew that if they said something wrong in the media, Cluffy would hold it against them. So nobody really wanted to talk to anybody because they were better off not doing it. They were great lads, but they were, it was self-preservation, really. So I went down this particular Friday and said to 
uh, Carol, who was Brian's secretary, I've come to do an interview and she said, well, who? The first name that came into my head was, was, was Brian Clough. And she kind of giggled away and said, oh, go on, ask him. And I must have thought, who's this guy, you know? So but I kind of just presumed that's what you did. So, in, you know, in the end, we ended up doing an interview. I mean, I, I, was, I was terrible. Um, he was great. I was terrible. And he took the mickey out of me pretty much all the way through. But it, it, it was kind of something I'll, I'll never forget. And it, it, it put me in a good position within the building, the radio station, because other people found it impossible to get an interview with Brian Clough. So the fact I got one straight away was, was good. And they were playing Man United that weekend. So it was quite a big game that was, was about, to, about to take place. But what I did realise is that no interview ever since that point has ever been more difficult or nerve-wracking than that. So it was, it was very much in the, at, the, at the deep end. And, but it was just this, this, this magical ride because I'd gone from being a Forest fan stood on the terraces. And, and my granddad, who's no longer with us, my granddad, who's effectively my dad, took me to all the games and all that kind of thing. He got Brian Clough on a pedestal to the point where if I was naughty in the house, he'd say... I'll tell Mr. Clough. So Brian Clough had this mythical place in my, in my life. So I'm now sat across from him with a microphone and a load of questions. And I'm thinking, this is just mad. So you can imagine my head is literally falling off. This is not, this is not supposed to be happening. This is like, what? So I'm, I'm kind of thinking this is going to get taken away, which is probably what gave me that drive at the start because I was desperate to stick around. And I remember we sat down in the room and... I'd got some questions. I'd written some questions down on a piece of paper. And, and he always used to say, get a voice level for yourself. So he'd make you test the mic and all that. And just to get you uneasy, I suppose. And just as I was about to start, he leant across the table and screwed the questions up and pulled and dropped them on the floor. So now I've got no questions. So I'm, I'm like, now I'm, I'm sweating. I mean, I am literally pouring with sweat. I mean, it, I was shaking, I was sweating. I must have been such a sight. How he didn't burst out laughing, I've got no idea. Um, but but he, 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 he made me earn every second of that interview. But, I, but it stood me in good stead. I remember walking out thinking, well, you know, I can't get any worse than that, can it? And I can't be any, can't be any more frightening than that. So it might get a bit more enjoyable from, from this point on. So that was, that was really it, I suppose. And commentary was, was a while away because Tony did all the commentaries and then there were other people ahead of me. Um, and I used to go and do a little bit of off-air commentary just to, to see if I could do it. And we'd keep the highlights, you know, for the games that weren't the commentary matches. And it, it, it took a while until they were prepared to, to risk it, me, me being a commentator. Um, and, and, yeah, it, it's, I've just been really lucky that there's always been someone within my career at key stages that have been prepared to work with me and give me an opportunity. It was Tony at the start. When I went to Five Live, it was Jonathan Wall. When I went to BT Sport, it was Grant Best. I've been really lucky to be around people who have gone, if, you know, if, if you're prepared to listen, I'm prepared to help. And that's helped me tremendously. And how did that interview go? The one where you, your first interview with Brian Clough, did you get what you needed? Yeah, it was okay because he could literally say anything and people would listen to it. So whatever, just brought three and a half minutes of Brian Clough on tape was enough, no matter what he said. Um, and he, he was, you know, I can remember large parts of it. I, I can remember it because it's indelibly marked in my brain. Um, but yeah, he was great. You know, he, he, he talked about Man United and I, I asked him, I remember asking him a question. I, I described Forrest's start to the season as mediocre. Because that was the, the, the terminology I would use as, a, as an 18-year-old tearing off a building site. 
I remember him saying, mediocre, son. He said, you're not talking about this interview, are you? Because I think this is mediocre. And it was things like that. So, of course, you've gone again. Just when you start to build your confidence, he'd knock you down again. But, um, but yeah, so he, he was great. He was great. And, it, and in those days, if you were a commercial radio station and you've got something like that, you would send it to the network. And it was called IRN, Independent Radio News. So this interview not only was in our building, they then sent it to the network. And, I mean, they've got to do a load of work on it because the, the clown asking the questions was terrible. Nowhere near network standard. And, of course, Cluffy was BAFTA standard. So there was a huge disparity in, in quality within this interview. Question to answer were poles apart. You know, one guy was good and the other one was terrible. So they edited it to the point where it was okay and sent it to the network. So within a really short space of time, I've, I've, I've gone from walking into the building to fluking this interview with Brian Clough and it going to the network. And that was, that was, just, that was just a, I don't know, again, you know, it's, it's like a sliding doors thing, I suppose. You know, I, I, I've been lucky. You know, I, I, I wouldn't ever sit down and tell anybody that I have the opportunities that I have based on anything other than luck and determination. It's, I've, I've been lucky and then I've had the determination to work hard to maximise the fortune. And that, that's, that's my story in a nutshell, really. Look, look, and, look and work ethic, I think. Yeah, and, and then after Trent FM, you, you moved, as you said previously, to Five Live. And that's a route so many commentators have taken, like Peter Drury, Miles Harrison, Clive Tilsey, John Murray, um, broadcasters like Mark Pugach and Jonathan Overend. And what, why do you think it is that so many of you come through the ranks of, of, of local radio? Why is it beneficial? And is that the natural progression? Yeah, it, it, it was. It was. And what concerns me now is that there used to be a path, but fewer and fewer commercial radio stations now commentate on football matches. So there's a lot of commentary now on the BBC local network, but commercial stations just play music now. So when I started, you could either commentate on Radio Nottingham, which Martin Fisher was doing at the time. You could commentate on, on the station I was on. Or you could commentate on hospital radio. Or you could commentate on Five Live. So there were, there were four options back then. Now, you're lucky if there's one. You know, the hospital radio, there's no, there's no, there's no finance anymore for, for hospital radio to, to do football commentaries. So there was always an opportunity for people to go and get themselves a chance to become better, to, to start the progression. Um, but for me, it was always, I, 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 you know, I grew up listening to Radio 2, Peter Jones, Brian Butler, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, in the bedroom, lights off, radio on, imagining the pictures, you know, and listening to those voices. And, and then it was Alan Green and all these guys that were like, they were on a pedestal. So naturally, the big ambition then was to try and work on the platform that they were on and to rub shoulders with them. And it took me a while. I mean, I started in 1990 and I didn't go to, um, to the BBC till 2004. So I'd gone to MUTV in 1998 and we launched that channel. Um, I'd gone to Century Radio, which was a regional station rather than a local station covering the East Midlands for a period of time, four or five years, and then made the jump. And again, you know, I had people that helped me. You know, a guy called Andy Kay used to be at the BBC. He was the, the, the sports editor for Capital Radio, which owned the group that I was working for. So he helped me. He put the tape together for me. When the commentary position came up, uh, Cad Sol, who was uh, in charge at Five Live Sport back then, was from Nottingham. 
and a Forest fan. So Kadjid listened to me on the radio doing Forest games. So he knew who I was. So I got a bit of look again there. Um, so it was a, it was a, and again, I, I don't think actually since that point, which was 04, and myself and Alistair Bruce Ball actually joined at the same time. There were two sports extra commentary jobs that came up at the time, and Alistair and myself got the two jobs. I'm not necessarily sure that they've advertised commentary positions since then. And I mean, what, we're talking 17 years almost. This was middle of 04, so we're talking almost 17 years. So you can, you can see how difficult these jobs are to come. And I'm, I'm quite pleased at the moment because... The people have retired, you know, Mike retired, Alan Green retired, um, Ian Brown's not, not doing commentaries for them now. So there's been a new wave of people coming in recently. And I think it's great because now you can listen to, to these guys and the girls and all that kind of thing and listen to them and think this is, this is their opportunity. You know, I've been really impressed by how Vicky's developed as a, as a commentator over the past 12 months. Really relaxing now, really enjoying the job. And, and, and she belongs, and she's always belonged, but now she knows she belongs. So she's got the confidence now to go and really be the best commentator she can be. And I listened to Seb, who's doing a load of games at the minute and getting better all the time, and his personality's starting to come out. And then, of course, you've got the guys that have been there for a period of time and they can lean on and learn from, which, 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 which we all did. So it, it's, it's, a brilliant, it's a brilliant opportunity. It's a great place to go and become better. But when you walk in there, there's a real sense of, of the history of it, that, that some of the great broadcasters have, have worked there. And, and it, it's intimidating because you think, I, don't, I shouldn't be here, you know, I can't do that. And, and it, it, but it makes you become better. You, you're driven by that. So Five Live was a great time. And I'm, I'm, I'm really looking at, when I left to join BT Sport, Jonathan Wall at the time said, well, we, we, you know, we'd like to stick around and do some work for us as well. So I did 606 with Robbie for, period of time and then when the kickoff times um became a a clash um jonathan and mike carr said we'd, we'd like to do fridays with jermaine which we do now which i love and, I, and i'd like to think that for as long as they'll have me i'd like to be there because it's it's such a it's such a special place to be and radio is so different to television you can really engage with the audience and it, it's a different relationship between a person on the radio and the, and the, and the listener so I, I really like that. And it, it's, I'm, I'm very fortunate and, and, and very privileged that I can still um, combine the two jobs. Um, and when you, you did move to BT, you were doing presenting as well as commentating. Was presenting on television something that you'd, you'd wanted to do or did that kind of just come about? No, what I found was that obviously I'd been... <laughs> the crazy thing was, when I, when I got the job at BT, I'd never really done any television commentary, so I didn't really know how to do that either. So again, I was lucky that Ian Dark was there and Grant Best, who was making the, the, the hires at the time, was in a position where he kind of said, look, you know, we don't need you to go in there and be something that you're not. There is a little bit of leeway here that you can learn how to do the job while you're doing it and we'll be patient with you. So they weren't expecting instant results, which is good because I couldn't do it for a period of time. Spoke way too much and everybody on social media told me that. So it was a bit of a kick in the teeth. But when you, when you go to a new channel, once we starts up like that, all these things just all of a sudden need doing. So they'll kind of turn around and say, oh, do you fancy doing this? Because we've got this program now, we need a presenter. So you may as well have a go at that. So that, I kind of fell into that. Um, Grant said to me, 
do you want to present on a Monday night with Neil Warnock, it was at the time, and Daryl Curry. So we did that on a Monday, and then that became Fletch and Sav eventually. But again, it was just the opportunity was there. Why not? Because you're going to, somebody said, do you want to try this? You're going to say yes. No point being in the industry if you're going to say no. So I just said, yeah, of course. You'll, we'll, 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 no idea how it's going to look or whether it's going to be any good or not. So you just do it, and then you, you rely on the good people around you to, to help you through it. But I really enjoyed it. I, I, I really enjoyed doing it. I, I was quite When you first sit there and you've got a camera and you're looking down, you're speaking to a camera, and you're kind of thinking, who am I talking to here? And then you look, look at it back and you look like a rabbit in the headlights. You think, well, I better relax next time. So, but it was good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was great working with Sav as well, because obviously we've known each other for a long, long time. So that was great, because he, he probably felt the same as I did. So you, you're both going in there thinking, let's not mess this up. So it was good. Okay. And I've heard you say previously that you can be really good at one thing, but if you want to be really good at two things, it's, it's, it's difficult. With the way the kind of modern... I guess broadcasting is going when you've got all these social media stars and content creators who have podcasts, they write, they speak, they edit, they, they commentate, they present. Do you think now it, for aspiring sports broadcasters, they do need to be, they need to have more than one string to their bow? Or, or do you think it's still a case of trying to specialise to be a commentator or specialise to be a presenter or a writer? Or yeah, what, what do you think about all of that? I think, Amish, that, it depends where you are in your career. You get to a stage where you think, right, now I've got to choose the path because I've, you, you have to be multi-experienced. I'm not going to say multi-talented. You've got to be multi, you've got to experience all of it. So, you know, I've presented radio programs. I've commentated on the radio. I've hosted events. I've commentated on football matches on the television, presented on the television. So you've got a bit of experience in all of it. And what you kind of do then whatever path that you choose, you use a little bit of all of it within that still. But I just got to the stage where, probably because, I, because I've commentated for so long, I've always seen myself as a commentator rather than a presenter. And if somebody said to me, right, you know, you've got half an hour to prove yourself and you can choose what you do, I'd probably commentate on something. So when it got to the point and I thought, I've got to choose a path now, Probably went for the what I thought was safest for me, and I, 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 you know, I looked at it and thought I'd like to become the lead commentator at BT Sport, and that was my that was my goal. Jake is the lead presenter, you know, that that role's filled, and I, I'm the kind of character that think if you're going to do something, you may as well try and be the best of it. You know, I say to the kids now, my my, my children, whatever you choose in life is fine, but just aspire to be the best at it. You know, just just want to be the best at it. So that was. That was my thought. And I, I thought, what can you do best? And I thought I could do that best. So that was, that was, the, that was the reasoning behind it. And, and I do think you do get to a stage where you can spread yourself too thinly. And then people kind of look at you and say, what is that person's role? You know, are they a presenter? Are they a commentator? Are they an interviewer? What are they? Are they a reporter? At some point, you've got to go, I'm going to do that. And then that gives you a chance to... To, to do that to as, as good a standard as you can. Okay, and how do you be the, the best commentator? What, what does it take? I mean, look, with regard to that, you, you'd have to ask somebody else because I, I, I'm, I'm not at that level. But what I would say to you is that you, that's what you have to aspire to be. You know, you, you, no, there's no point kind of thinking, well, I'll just, I'll just do it to a certain level. You've got to try and make the best of yourself, I think. But, it, I mean, preparation's key. If you, if you think about it, 
we get invited into people's living rooms on a Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Saturday lunchtime. You know, to be allowed in there is a privilege. So you need to realise what the place is, what your place is. And your place is to be a soundtrack to an event that, A, your audience know a tremendous amount about. B, you've got to try and enhance it rather than uh, dominate it. So that's an important thing. Know, know what your place is within, within that broadcast. Preparation is vital because the people watching the game invariably know as much, if not more, about the subject matter than you do. You know, you can watch news at 10 at night and I don't know whether they're telling the truth or not. Well, they are telling the truth because they're on news at 10, but I don't know the news story. They know the news story. So they're breaking news to me that I don't know about. With a football team, you, you know about it because you follow that football team. So you know about the Premier League or the Championship, whatever the team is. So you've got to be aware of that. So you need to be prepared. You, you, you've got to have the... The knowledge, so you can you can you can add something to it, and then it's about watching what you do. I mean, I, I do the Champions League on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and I'll come back. And, it, and if I can't watch the game back in full in the car, I'll watch it when I get back because at that point I know why I've said what I've said, the circumstances around what I did, and if I don't like it when I watch it back, I'll I'll work out what how I could have done it differently. Um, by watching your work. That's how you're going to get better. You know, I, I, it works for some people, not for others, I suppose. But I can't work out why you wouldn't watch everything. You're asking the audience to watch it, so why don't you watch it? Because it, it might make you better. And I'd say that to people on the radio, record it. Let's listen back to it. And unless you can critique it yourself, you, you're not going to improve. Um, and the other thing is, you know, I think at the moment we are blessed with some wonderful football commentators, brilliant football commentators. Um, I reached out to Clive Tilsley last year and said to Clive, look, have you got a bit of time to try and help me develop as a commentator? Clive was extremely gracious um, with his time and his, and his help and, and, and helped me work on a few things to, to improve. I watch uh, the guys on the television, Martin and, and, and Steve Wilson and Jonathan Pierce and, and uh, Clive when he's on and, and all these guys, Peter you know, Ian, all, we've got a great lot of, you can learn something from everybody. So, why, you know, why, why wouldn't you do that? You know, why wouldn't you watch these people and think, well, they do that better than me, so I'm going to try and see how they do it so it can make me better. And, and you, you've just got to, it's like anything else, you know, you've got to keep practising and you've got to keep looking at what you do with a critical eye. And if you, if, you, if you do that and learn from people that are better than you, then you, you should get better. Obviously, yeah. As you said, preparation is so key and watching yourself back. But sometimes, I guess as a commentator, when there's unexpected moments like, I don't know, when Lucas Moura scores that third goal against Ajax, how do you prepare for that? Surely you can't. No, you, you don't. At that point, the, 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 the situation comes and you can start to see it and you start to think, hang on. And then when it comes, you're actually, you're actually hoping that your brain works as fast as your mouth so that you don't mess it up. You, the, what comes out at that point is the right thing because you can't prepare. You know, the spontaneity of a goal is the key. You, you can't write it. You can't have a, a list of things you're going to say if so-and-so scores because it's so obvious. You know, it's just like, that sounded a bit contrived. So you've got to kind of say what, what comes out naturally at that point. The Lucas Moura thing, somebody, somebody said to me once, it was Tony actually, You've always got to save yourself 10% because you've never commentated on the best goal that you're going to see or the most important goal you're going to see. And that night, the Mora night, was probably 
the night where you could let the extra 10% come out because you're probably not going to see that again. Martin probably felt the same with Aguero's goal. You know, that was the time when you could just let it all hang out because you are never going to see that again. So it, it was it was one of those moments, really. And, of course, I got the situation with Jermaine. He was a, an emotional wreck next to me. He'd been through the ringer. So I'm kind of looking at him thinking, I'm on my own here for a minute because JJ's gone. So it was it was just... I mean, that was just a wonderful night. I mean, I said to somebody the other, the other day, I said, I, I think, that, you know, I hope to commentate for a, a lot more years. To, to come, but I think the two biggest nights of my career have probably gone already. I don't think I'm ever going to get Liverpool four, Barcelona nil, followed by Tottenham winning a semi-final in the manner that they did 24 hours later. I just don't think it'll happen again. Especially not back-to-back. Um, not like that, no. And then just to wrap it up before I have a Darren Fletcher quiz, um, do you, what, what advice do you have for aspiring sports commentators or broadcasters who would who would like to do what you do basically first and foremost you've got to love it you have to love it it has to be a passion it's not a job this it's a passion and with it comes a tremendous amount of privilege how you handle yourself and what you do because when you're fortunate enough to do a job like like i do and like we do you certain expectation levels come with it you've got to handle yourself properly you've got to be respectful of the opportunity you have um, and I think that's really important. Don't, don't get carried away with your own self-importance because at the end of the day, you're not important. You're lucky. You're in a really, really privileged position. Appreciate it. Be aware of that. You know, that there's people... I can't stand commentators who complain about the game they're at. Yeah, say the game's not very good. That's fine because everybody can see that. But don't complain about it. Don't, don't, don't complain about it. Tell people it's cold, fine, but not you're cold and you're kind of don't know what you're doing there because there's millions of people who swap with you at that point. So be aware of that. Be respectful of that. Um, you've got to be patient. This is a long journey. You know, this, anybody who thinks, right, I'm going to leave university and by the age of 25, I'm going to be the number one guy on Sky Sports. It just won't happen. It's, no matter how good you are, it won't happen. You have to pay your dues. You've got to be patient. You've got to be prepared to wait and you've got to be prepared probably to do a lot of things that you didn't think you'd have to do in our job to get to where you are. You know, standing outside at training grounds in the cold, waiting for an interview that you don't get because the person doesn't turn up. Don't complain about it. You've got to go back tomorrow and you might have to wait again and they might not turn up again. But this is part and parcel of it. You know, it's not, everything's not what it's cracked up to be. You've got to be patient and be prepared to earn the opportunity. Um, and just work hard. You know, anybody can do it. And I'm, I'm living proof that anybody can do it. If I can climb off a building site in Sheffield and, and commentate on a Champions League final, anybody can do it. You know, and, and I always say to people, it's about hard work and it's about your determination. And it's worth doing because once the opportunity comes, it's the best job in the world. It, it, it's worth doing. So stick at it. Continue to love it. Believe that you can do it. Listen to anybody who wants to give you advice. And, and and give yourself the best chance to 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 achieve what you want to achieve. Well, that is that is brilliant advice, Darren. And yeah, just to end, I've got five questions for you on five events, moments, or or situations you've been in and around. And yeah, it's basically a memory test of your career. So we're going to start very early on, and it's about Brian Clough. But who scored the final goal of Brian Clough's reign at Nottingham Forest? Nigel Clough. Yes. One that was that too easy? Too easy to start. <laughs> um, against Ipswich. 
against Ipswich. Yeah, yeah, it was. They lost. Do you know the score in that game? Two one. Yeah, wow. Very. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, brilliant memory. Um, <laughs> this one's very easy, I think. Maybe uh, Liverpool Barcelona, the full four nil comeback. Who scored the first goal? Really? Yep. <laughs> and as the, as the ball went in, I shouted, there's one back. Henderson shot, saved by the goalkeeper, Origi tapping. And then we thought, hang on, hello. <laughs> Three more to come. Um, I don't know if you were actually commentating on this, but I know you were a boxing commentator at the 2012 London Olympics, but who won the men's heavyweight gold? So Big Josh won the super heavyweight. So I think it was Alexander Usyk. It was, it was. That, yeah, it was, Alexander Usyk. Usyk, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then the 2016 Champions League final, which I think was the first Champions League final you commentated on. Yes. Who was the first goal, or the only goal scorer for Real Madrid? Sergio Ramos. Yes, it was. They're four at four, four so far. And then Yannick Carrasco off the bench for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then penalties, obviously. Um, and then the very... Very recently, this is. Man City against Leeds. Who got red carded for Leeds? Liam Cooper. Oh, it's too easy, isn't it? <laughs> five out of five, yeah. You know what? Listen, <laughs> I can't do many things in life. And at the moment, my kitchen's being decorated. And my wife has spent the morning before I came to talk to you saying, no, not like that, because I'm terrible. Right? I, I could remember sporting incidents and facts. I have this brain that remembers nothing useful. So if it's like, what time are we going to pick the kids up? Or this needs doing this, forget it. It's gone. Football things, just stay in there. And it's like, and more sports things, stays in there. So I suppose in, in, in my work, it's useful. As a husband and father, it can be a nightmare. I can't remember anything else. So that, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, remembering they lost 2-1 to Ipswich back in 1993 or whatever that was, that's, that's pretty good going. Well, the week before, we'd done the Sheffield United match, and I can remember who scored for Sheffield United that day. Glenn Hodges and, 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 and um, Brian... Oh, maybe I can't remember. Brian, centre-back. Oh, dear. Scored the first one. Glenn Hodges got the second down at the other end. How do you remember that? It was nearly 30 years ago. Yeah, I was devastated because it, was, it, was, it was, was all coming to an end. Brian Gale, he's got the other one. There you go. Brian Gale, <laughs> Brian Gale and Glenn, Glenn Hodges. That Champions League final I did, that, that was the, I, I commentated that day in the wettest shirt that I've ever been wearing because I was so nervous. And I'd never been to the San Siro, and you've got to walk miles to get to the commentary position. It's all upstairs. And it was roasting. And I got this light blue shirt on that by the time I got there, it was dark blue with sweat. And I was that nervous about the day, I never stopped. So I just literally sat there and commentated the Champions League final, looking like I just got out of the bath. So that, that, that wasn't ideal by any stretch of the imagination. Sartorial elegance deserted me that night. Well, that's it for Series 2, Episode 10 of Behind the Microphone with BT Sports lead commentator, Darren Fletcher. Please make sure to subscribe, like, and share it if you liked it. And I'll see you again soon.